Future Hacker Life Path Future. Welcome back, everybody. That's the third episode with Professor Michael Zaida. Uh, thanks for here keeping up with us, <laughs> Professor. Uh, I think that's a topic that it's going to be. I think like everything we're talking about, but you know, close to your heart. You do mention in one of your articles how you wish and you do consider it's actually possible that by 2028, sports will be in the Olympics. So do you think that a virtual competition will be viewed as a physical event? Because, you know, I went to research about it and that's what I read. For esports to be in the Olympics, a virtual competition will have to be viewed as a physical event to be recognized as a sport. And maybe by then, the immersive technologies will make it a case or esports as is today with its current youth engagement and revenue, of course, should be enough for making an argument for putting it within the Olympics. I think there's a big demand for esports to be an Olympic sport, and I, I don't know the total pathway you go to get there. But we still have rifle shooting and pistol shooting. And while they are physical for a very brief period, when you pull the trigger, the notion that people play games over multiple hours in an esports arena is something different. So I'm, I'm interested in esports because, one, there's a lot of interesting technology that needs to be built. But there's also uh, this notion that when the gaming generation grows up and wants to go on vacation, they may want to go to an esports resort. So the, the thought I've been working on is what will be in that resort? Well, of course, there's going to... I got to work with a group in downtown Los Angeles that has a really cool building, a million square foot of space. And it was the old hamburger department store. It became the May Company. And it's, it's like two-thirds of a block in downtown L.A., built in the 20s. The, the day it opened, it was one-third of all the people who lived in Los Angeles County came to that store when it opened as a department store. So it's beautiful, marble, it's gorgeous. And uh, there's a friend of mine who owns this, and he was interested in plan for an esports resort. And so I put together a plan And then I realized he was running out of money, so we didn't go far. But the notion was to have an arena where people could come and watch superstar players, say, play League of Legends or World of Warcraft or Diablo or one of these games where you're playing against other people and put it into an arena where people can watch on big screens what you are doing and you get this feel of real time, you are in there. And the notion that people today sponsor teams. And so in the, in the eSports resort was going to be gamer mansions for the teams. So your whole team could be all in this one big hotel suite with big screens where they could go practice. And then when the contest is up, they can sort of walk out to the arena. And the arena was going to be on the roof and it was going to be a crystal dome and everything. And of course, there's a lap swimming pool right nearby. And what you'll find is we also wanted to make it so there was some game development space in the resort. The idea being that people get to a certain point in their games and they'd like to show off what they're building to people who are just walking by. 
So the idea being we'd put game developers in a crystal box so that you could look in and see them working, and then they would grab you and say, here, play our game and test it for us. This is some of the thoughts I had. But, of course, I also put in the plan, what are my favorite 20 restaurants in Los Angeles so that we have them all in the same building? And then we also wanted to have this notion of a live video stream from the lobby in a glass radio booth where we have, uh, you know, influencers and uh, DJs like MC Lars sitting there doing a show live in the lobby, played into the lobby. And there's all these stores which are focused basically on the gamer generation and uh, places for coffee and places to just hang out. So I thought it's pretty cool. Plus, there's some interesting tech that comes when you start thinking about esports. And that, that's what gets me excited about it. I think that everybody that is listening to you is excited about that already, Professor. <laughs> I, we've got some thoughts on it. I, I've got a company that I, is my favorite theme park design company that I think I would grab in a heartbeat and say, let's do this together. We just need to raise about a billion dollars. But that's small money. Let's start talking about it. It just sounds really amazing. And, and for sure, people that are completely out of the esports zone, we want to go there as well. That's definitely something that I'll, I'll be dying to know more about. So keep us posted, really. I'm cheering for that. So, you know, I have to, now to move from a super exciting topic that we were just talking about to maybe a, more, a little more boring one, but I thought that it, it would be important to cover. I don't know. Maybe you can convince us that it's not boring at all. You do mention that you're very also experienced in patent litigations, right? So I was just curious if you could comment maybe on the main mistakes people are making and maybe just give our listeners some tips on writing a good patent. I know that this is going to be also one of your future articles. If we could have a little taste of that, it would be great. Sure. So... Um... I have been an expert witness for 46 game and computing companies. So I have worked for Electronic Arts, Activision, Blizzard, <laughs> Rockstar, Disney, pretty much everybody in the game industry who has a big company. And I've worked for Apple on the patents with respect to the graphics hardware architecture of the iPad and the iPhone. And I work for, as an expert for Google on who came up with the algorithms underneath Google Earth. I'm working for Facebook on, on a project in virtual reality. Actually, Meta, I guess. So, you know, Facebook slash Meta. We're always going to save that for like the next 10 years. It doesn't matter if they change their name. So you have to think about what's the purpose of patents. So if you are a small company and you have a super innovative idea, and no one is even close to that idea, you, you file a patent and you prosecute it, which means you, you pay for the fees and you submit it to the patent office and the patent office comes back and says, well, you know, you didn't mention this prior art, you should probably mention it and you should change your patent a little bit to allow it. And eventually you get your patent issued. If you are a big company, you probably issue a patent at least once a week for each research group you've got going. Because what happens is once your company is worth over a billion dollars, you get hit with patent litigation. And so you'd like to have your own quiver of patents in that same space for the things that you invented. So the good thing about you know, patent litigation is it happens when your company is worth over a billion dollars. 
mean, the good news is scores over a billion dollars and you probably have the money to defend yourself. It's only about $10 million a year per patent. What? Really? Yeah. Well, you have to have a flack of attorneys. You have to have really expensive expert witnesses and uh, away you go. So, so I, I started in patent litigation uh, in 2004. I, I knew I was coming to USC. USC had offered me a position, but they didn't offer to pay my move. So I went, I got this project with Sony, uh, Sony Interactive. And I thought, well, this will take 90 days to knock this out. And it took six and a half years. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a lawsuit against Sony and Microsoft. And I'm, I'll probably just leave the real name of the patent out. But it was a patent that claimed to have invented the client-server architecture for online games and the intermixing of voice over IP data with game state data on the same network. Just completely absurd. And it took six and a half years of Sony's time. And, and then Sony settled. And then I think Microsoft went on for another year and a half to you know, full litigation, which means it went to trial. They presented everything to the jury. And when it was all ready for the jury to go to the, you know, to the box to go vote on what happens, they settled that night as the maximum available billing, billable hours. So it took a long time. So I did a lot of Sony. I've done a lot of Valve. I've done a lot of uh, some companies just, you know, I, I'm there all the time. I've actually was on one case where the end result is it, it went to the Supreme Court for a decision and it changed patent law. So patents are valuable, but there's, there's waves of them. So, you know, when I first started out, most of, I think I was on five different cases where each person had claimed to have invented client-server architecture of online games or some twist on client-server architecture for online games. And those are, you know, easy to, they're like shooting fish in a barrel to, you know, deal with. More recent ones are all related to augmented reality and virtual reality, which is we have the patent on changing your character's clothes. It's like, well, wait a second now. There's lots of prior. That's insane. And so there's stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of patent litigation around who in tracking, head tracking, body tracking, because, you know, there's a lot of research that got done in the mid-90s about this. And some of those patents have been kept alive. There's going to be a lot more on network infrastructures for the metaverse, which is, you know, the, those, there's going to be some patents in that space and there will be lots of litigation in that space. And it comes in waves. It just, it's just a cost of doing business. It's if you're a small startup, you should file patents. I, it's helped me learn to write patents. So the last three patents I co-wrote for one of my startups I wrote the claims for these patents. We had a fantastic law firm, SoCal IP Law, which finished the patents and submitted them in track one. And we got each of them issued in five months with no changes. I've never had that happen before. So we did it three times in a row. It was pretty, pretty cool. That's really cool. So, you know, everybody that is listening, if you're into this game and you need some help, contact Professor Zaida, right? <laughs> Yeah. Remember, it's, remember I mentioned a really expensive expert witness. Oh, okay. Okay. So another radical changing subject and now going to the core of Future Hacker. So we're talking about future of gaming. You mentioned not only the advancements in machine learning, artificial intelligence, all those immersive technologies that we've been talking about today, but also 
how machine learning, and, and, and we did talk about it earlier on, will be able to interpret human emotions and the physical reactions, right? You mentioned the heartbeat and the breathing and things like that. And then responds accordingly. And I actually, I think I read yesterday, I, th I think I saw this video on LinkedIn of, of a robot mimicking emotions and mimicking empathy. So, you know, we're, this is already happening, right? On the same time, and this, what I'm going to say now, I have no idea if it's true or not, of, or if it's just people of older generation like talking about younger generations but uh it's sad that you know in the past the gaming experience was way harder and then currently there's this generation that are into more the easier you know the easier past the phase and and get the rewarding faster than what we were used to so we don't want to get the games too hard to make people just give up on them Or, or do you envision we get such an advanced technology in which the game would sense the player's frustration and just make it a little easier depending on how, how the player is feeling? Just, just would love to know your thought about that. Oh yeah, before machine learning, when you put AI into a game, the difficult problem was tuning. What meant by tuning the AI was, if you make the AI always win 100% of the time and it has to play against a human, then the human will pretty much give up on the game in a couple of minutes and you will lose all of your investment because no one will play your game. And so the, the notion has always been, well, you want to make it like the AI wins 70% of the time. And what people would do is you wouldn't give the AI characters perfect perception. What you'd give them is some randomization of their perception. You know, because they're in the same computer memory as you. So they could reach out and get the exact values, but you want to put those exact values to a perception box, which randomizes, rolls of dice in a random number and changes the values a little bit so that they don't have a perfect idea where you are when they're going to shoot you. And they can kind of try and shoot you and the bullet goes whizzing by your ear instead of like always in the middle of your forehead. So we've always done that with scripting, but in machine learning now you have the ability, if you have enough compute power to run the machine learning in real time, to make it so that it can notice that you're having a difficult time. And what it should do is be a little bit stupider AI so that it can play with you. So in fact, you know, it starts out and figures out your level and it's going to play at your level and maybe just a little bit better to make you better. And then as you get better, it can change and make itself a little better. So you can't catch it quite yet, but Maybe you're gonna, maybe what it will do is it'll leave, it'll leave itself back a little bit so that you can feel really good about yourself. Those people seem, in the younger generation, people want to feel good about themselves. Um, so still on the topic of, you know, future immersive experiences, we did, you did mention a couple of times how those, you know, headsets and those gears that we have today, people just don't have the patience to stay longer than, you know, three, five minutes and it's already done. I watched this interview with um, Ted Shilowitz, a futurist for Paramount Pictures, saying that we are entering this age of a screenless screen and of what a screen will not be anything like the screens that exist today. So maybe just a, a layer or virtual reality that will feel transparent to us. Do you think that's the way uh, we are going with the future of gaming? Like, what, what are you envisioning of not wearing this, this headset and those gears that are, you know, a pain currently? Well, 
Okay, and I, I think I mentioned this before, which is if, if you get someone in Oculus Quest 2 right now and put them in it and have them play a game and they've never put the headset on before, they'll probably want to take it off in a couple of minutes because they don't like it. And if they wear glasses, they have to put the, leave the glasses on and put the headset on and it squishes the glasses against the face. And it's super uncomfortable because I used to wear glasses. I had eye surgery to replace my uh, lenses in my eye with a multifocal lens permanently. So I didn't wear glasses anymore. Now I have 20-20 vision, which is kind of like a superpower. Anyway, I, I think people, everybody is saying, we're going to do it all in the metaverse with head-mounted displays. And the answer is, no, no, no. I mean, even if Facebook slash Meta spends $10 billion in the next couple of years, and there's also $10 billion more investment from VCs, it's still not going to make people want to wear head-mounted displays, I think. So the truth of the matter is, I think they're going to have to come up with ideas about how to do such experiences, augmented reality, virtual reality experiences, without a headset. So I, I, I told you before, I'm, I'm advisor to a company called Athanos, and their website is athanos.com, and they've invented a way to do what we call modern 3D. So we have a head tracker on your forehead. We figured out a way to turn OLED televisions into stereo, and you wear a very lightweight active shutter glasses. And so you'll see this 3D world, which you can, your head can move through and interact. And you can have a controller in your hands or put on some something to do hand manipulation. And all of a sudden you can have these great game experiences that are very cool. And you can see your friends while you're playing who are sitting on the couch next to you. And they can also put on an active shutter glasses and see it in, in stereo and 3D as well. You're not going to be tripping and, and, and bumping into to your furniture. And, and you still have this, the social feeling as well, right? The social feeling of being around. Yeah. Exactly. You don't get the experience of falling over your coffee table, unfortunately, but you get something more humane. That's really cool. That's, okay, listen, we're getting out of time, but I still do have a last question for you. Because this, my understanding, and this is, has been a hit, especially on, on the gaming industry, as much as people is talking about everywhere, one of, one of those trends that we have to talk about, right? So your personal opinion, NFTs, a trend, a scam, the future, a bubble, what's your thought? Wow, it's maybe too early to know, but you know, sort of like, I thought cryptocurrency was crazy also, but then I had my TA for one of my classes All of a sudden, the next semester, this department only had could cover 25% of his salary instead of 50%. And he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, I bought a bunch of Bitcoin at $10 a coin uh, a couple years ago, and I have enough money to pay off all of the rest of my tuition from USC and buy a house. Just make sure he never loses his password, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I told him, I said, don't you know about having to tithe to your professor? <laughs> no, I did not say that. But he's, he's, he's a superstar. I think he's at Qualcomm, last time I saw, and he's great. So I didn't believe in Bitcoin when it started, but then one of my Facebook friends, Brock Pierce, I think about three years ago, he had one and a half billion in Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's gone way up since then. And he moved to Puerto Rico and bought himself a 90-foot boat. You know, I would like to have that, but, you know, I'm kind of like into old cars. I have like a 2004... Volkswagen, Passat wagon. But you know, have, ha having good friends that have that is enough, you know? 
<laughs> I know. It's, uh, anyway, um, so NFTs, do I want to buy a digital copy of something where I'm the only copy and it, it's in a server somewhere and I own the rights to it? Um, you know, I'm not yet convinced that there's value in that. You know, if it's a piece of music that's done by an artist and the artist is only going to allow that one copy. So I have to believe that the artist is only going to allow that one copy. That's a little bit of a reach, right? You know, so I'm, I'm not sure NFTs. There seems there's a bunch of people running into it. It could be, I don't know, scam. It could be all like lemmings. VCs tend not to invest in innovation. They tend to invest like lemmings, which is all of my friends are running towards NFTs. I must do NFTs to be determined what the outcome is. But if I go on LinkedIn, many of my friends are jumping into this business. They're either going to be broke or they're going to be super wealthy. They all hope to catch the wave of that they missed when they didn't invest in Bitcoin at $10 a Bitcoin. I think it's like $47,000 a Bitcoin today. Okay, good enough. Thank you so much, Professor. It's a, such, such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for those whole three episodes. A lot of interesting content. Really great to have you. Well, send me a link when they're out. And, you know, if you want to do like a fourth and a fifth and a, and a tenth and a hundredth episode, let me know because this will help me write my IEEE Computer Games column articles. You're definitely coming back to talk about esports, you know, and your cool startups you're advising. Anything cool, just let me know. We would love to know what's going on. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.